0: Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Muma. Thanks for joining us for Management Decisions here on LJN Radio. Today's guest, Kay Koplovitz, has seen a ton of success in her career, and she's been helping other female entrepreneurs launch their businesses as well. Now, Kay founded the USA Network back in 1977, making her the first woman president of a TV network. She also has a book out called Been There, Run That, which features a bunch of success stories and strategies from other female entrepreneurs as well. Kay, thank you for joining LJN Radio. Good pleasure to be with you. Well, I want to first start off by just getting a glimpse into your career. Obviously, very successful. And you know, nowadays, we hear a lot of women, they might avoid certain industries a little bit or they might leave an industry because they don't have many female role models. What motivated you back in you know, the 1970s to really become the first woman to head up a television network and push yourself to that position when obviously you couldn't have had many female role models at that point either?
1: Well, I didn't, but um, I've always been sort of a voyager of my own mind, I guess you might say. And I wrote a master's thesis in 1968 on satellite technologies and their power to connect people on a global basis. And I envisioned the ability to deliver television programming uh, via satellite. And in that case, it's a cable system when we launched what was Madison Square Garden Sports in 1977. It was really my dream. I, uh, I really wanted to accomplish that, and I was motivated by Arthur C. Clarke, a great scientist and a great science fiction writer who actually devised geosynchronous orbiting satellites coming out of the Second World War in 1945, but they weren't launched until 1965. Wow. And shortly after, I heard him speak about the power of them as a college student, and I, it was an idea that would never let me go. <laughs> I had to do it.
0: That's awesome. I think Yeah. And I think people love hearing stories like that um, because of course we see the finished product, but we don't necessarily always see what led into that or what your motivation was. So I think people would uh, be very fascinated to hear stuff like that. For you then, what did you see as the biggest challenges? One, being able to create a network, a cable network like that. And then two, to remain on top for so long, I have to imagine there was a lot of pushback and doubts when it came to other people looking at you, especially as you look at, again, the male to female dynamic.
1: Well, you know, I really never uh, considered being a female as a liability. I really was focused on starting a sports network, uh, which is what the chosen field was at the time for me, because I knew people would value it. I knew people would watch it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, Malcolm Gladwell in Outliers, his book Outliers, talks about the 10,000 hours to prepare to start a business. I probably put in 20,000 hours because (laughs) I worked for seven years in the satellite business, producing television programming also, and in the cable business. Mm -hmm. I had worked in the three industries that I knew I had to have experience in, and more importantly, network with people running those industries so that when the opportunity came, it was, as my dad used to tell me growing up, you make your own luck. I was lucky to be there at the right time, and I planned to be there at the right time, and I worked really hard to get there. Sure. At the time when the opportunity, let me tell you, and I'll tell you, it was the night that changed the course of television history. It was September 30th, 1975. In the cable industry, we brought the thriller from Manila live to Vero Beach, Florida, Mm -hmm. demonstrated for congressmen and senators the viability of using satellites for commercial purposes, and that was the night that changed the course of television history. That is the night that launched my career and really launched the cable business from Outback Antenna System to what it is today.
0: Sure. Now, it is fascinating to think about where it was and for you to be really at the ground level of all that. And and now you see how everything obviously has exploded and changed in many ways. At the time, did you see yourself in any way as a role model or a positive example for women? I know you didn't necessarily focus on that part for your own career, but did you get that sense? Did you hear from other women at the time? What was that like?
1: I always related to other women and tried to help women with um, mentoring and uh, created a number of organizations in the industry, women in cable and women in cable and television Mm -hmm. later on. And actually, these organizations still exist today and are very powerful because we really I really wanted to focus on management and women moving up in management and in companies, and at that time they were basically either in you know bookkeeping or customer service sure. nothing wrong with those, but they were not getting any training to be general managers mm-hmm. and so we you know we really focused on that, and I think that uh, women in cable and technology today is is really one of the strongest management uh, training organizations for the cable industry today.
0: Well, with all of your work and the success you had uh, that led you into being appointed as the chair for the National Women's Business Council, and that also then helped launch Springboard Enterprises. For those who don't know and those that are listening, uh, what exactly is Springboard Enterprises and why did you feel this was such an important project?
1: Well, when uh, President Clinton asked me to chair the National Women's Business Council, it really was to report on the progress of women-owned business, especially procurement uh, for the federal government. Mm -hmm. Well, it was an important presidential appointment as far as women in business was concerned. It really, for me, was was not compelling. (laughs) It wasn't big enough. I am a person that likes scale. I like to build. I like to get results. And so I said to him at the time, I said, well, look, I'm happy to do that, but my real issue is getting women into private equity where the real money is because women have been working under capital starvation for way too long. And I was looking at the venture capital markets at the time, this was late nineties, mm-hmm. money was pouring over the transom. You had to drink it with a fire hose, except <laughs> not women, only 1.7% of a hundred billion dollars uh, in 1999 went to women. Wow. And I said, somebody has got to change the picture because there are women in technology and life sciences who want to build companies, and if they don't get competitive access to capital, they will not be able to compete because these are capital-intensive businesses that, ha- in order to scale. Right. They're not organic growth businesses. They need capital infusion. So that was the beginning of Springboard. Um, we went to S- Silicon Valley. Springboard Enterprises is a nonprofit accelerator for business le- women-led businesses and technology and life sciences. And, uh, you know, we went to Silicon Valley. Why did we go there? That's where the money was. Right. (laughs) And I said, look, let's see if we can find women that would qualify for venture funding because they were nowhere to be seen. They weren't really being rejected by venture capitalists. They weren't connected to them, Hmm. they didn't even see them, they didn't know them. And in that first year, we got 350 applications for our first educational forum. Uh, we were bowled over because we were expecting 100. Mm-hmm. And I knew immediately when I saw that response that this was a vastly underserved market. Sure. And there was a great need to create an access to the marketplace. And that was the beginning of Springboard. We did our first venture forum presenting 26 companies that we put through our first coaching program. And they presented in Silicon Valley. Uh, I think it really <laughs> stirred Stirred up Silicon Valley a little bit because <laughs> venture capitalists never saw women presenting, much less 26 of them. <laughs> Something I like to do, you know, disrupt. I just, we disrupted Silicon Valley. And oh, yeah. The interesting thing about it, though, was that 22 of those companies got funded. Wow. Two of them merged their businesses. One sold her business and one wasn't funded. And we've never looked back. I mean, we've been doing this for 15 years. Springboard is a nonprofit accelerator. We've brought uh, 562 companies to market. We add about 30 to 35 new companies every year. And uh, the amazing thing is that 83% of the companies do raise capital. 80% of these companies in 15 years are still in business today. Wow. There's really nobody to match the track record. And we're proving that women can build, start, found, and build scalable businesses in the technologies and life sciences. About two-thirds of our companies are in technology sectors, such as software, media technology, financial technology, et cetera, fashion tech we started last year, and one-third are in life sciences, biotech uh, devices, and diagnostics. They're leading the way in these new categories, and I just couldn't be more thrilled with what we've accomplished in 15 years, and now people can get expert advice from 45 of these leading women entrepreneurs in Been There, Run That because 45 people contributed their articles about very specific issues or problems that they faced growing their companies Mm -hmm. and give very succinct, practical advice for people, whether you're a wannabe entrepreneur, a startup, or a serial entrepreneur. There's some really good advice in the book, Been There, Run That. And it's actually quite delightful to read. It doesn't read like a textbook. It's quick access and practical advice.
0: Well, Kay, you obviously are a pro at this or you're reading my mind, one or the other, because I was going to lead right into the book you're talking about, uh, Ben there Run that, as you mentioned. Describe to listeners a little bit of the makeup. I know you alluded to it there a little bit. Or what did you? Why did you feel it was a good format to put together? I mean, you could have just went out there and written everything and, and used your experience. Why did you decide that this was the way to put it together and, and create this type of makeup of a book?
1: Well, because I think the cacophony the of voices, the different voices are so important for people to hear. They have different points of view that they want to, you know, bring to people's attention. So, you know, I think it's important to hear from people who are currently out in the marketplace who mm-hmm. are facing yeah, you know, they are just like women out there. There's an article in here, a short article in here that said, How to be pregnant and CEO, five <laughs> tips by Bettina Hahn. She raised capital and she was like eight months pregnant, went out and raised capital. Nice. She has a a successful company that she raised capital for called Pixability. They just raised their C round of uh, $18 million. And, you know, there's just uh, it's really exciting to see how women are taking charge of themselves and not being judged by what other people think they should be, but what they think they should do and be. And I think that's really, really important. But there are really sage people in here. You know, one of the things I like, a lot of people listening may have companies that are more organic in growth that maybe mm-hmm. have consumer products, local shops and things like that also. And one of the articles that I really do like is how to compete on value, not price, because I think it's very important to know the real true value of a product or service you're taking to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And once you start competing on price, it's kind of a downward slope because it really does you know, you're competing against people who continue to want under, to undercut your price. And so I always wanted to have people figure out, well, can I compete on value? What right. is my value proposition? And what are people really willing to pay for it? But then there's a, you know, an article that is by Robin Chase, who was the founder of Zipcar. For those people out there who are Zipcar members like myself, I'm, I'm one here in New York. <laughs> she writes an article called, From the Heart, How Corporate Values Drive Authentic Brands and customer loyalty. And when she launched Zipcar and came through our accelerator in 2000, she never spent a penny on advertising. Her, she was a very early thinker in the sharing economy. Mm-hmm. And Zipcar is a car club. It's not ownership and it's not renting. You belong to the club. It's very, very simple, easy access. I've got cars parked dozens of locations within a half a mile of my apartment in New York. I use it all the time she is a real leader, uh, thought leader in sharing economy. And she built that all on what was expected of people who are going to be a member of my club. You had to pick up the car on time, you had to return it on time, it had to be clean, there had to be at least a quarter of a tank again. And so people bought into that. And they told other people, and it was all word of mouth that built the company. And so it's really great to get very specific advice from people who are really successful and how they did it. They're unlocking the keys to success for people who read their articles.
0: With the people that contributed to the book or just in general, do you see common threads in entrepreneurs and business owners that, whether it's related to skills or personality, something you could point to or a few things you could point to to say, this is what's necessary or this is what makes them successful? Are there certain areas that really do seem to be common?
1: Well, very interestingly, Corn Ferry, uh, the search company, the head hunting company, did a research on our entrepreneurs. There were 183 entrepreneurs from our group, and they were being compared against 306 C-suite executives, both men and women, from corporations. Sure. They were trying to determine why are these women so successful? Because our, as a group in this portfolio, very highly successful, much more than national averages in terms of building businesses and reaching liquidity events. And they found this, that our women entrepreneurs have an extremely high tolerance for ambiguity, five times that of women in C-suites and three times that of men, and also a curiosity. They have a very high quotient of curiosity, and they translate that into being high in learning agility. What does that mean? They can learn and adapt very quickly. They learn, they iterate, they adapt. They learn, they iterate, they adapt. They're very quick to see things in the marketplace and they're out in the unknown. They're starting something. They don't have all the answers. They don't mind not having all the answers. They're out there finding answers and adapting them to their business. That is very key for entrepreneurs of all sorts. Mm -hmm. That is very key for entrepreneurs in today's environment. So yes, there is a common characteristic and that is it, learning agility.
0: Another note that I saw in researching Ben There Run That, uh, again, that's the book we're talking about here. The note listed that female entrepreneurs need to be celebrated for leading differently than men. How do you think women do lead differently than men and what are the positives that come from that difference?
1: Well, it's very interesting. There's another book uh, called The Athena Doctrine uh, that was came out about two years ago, two, three years ago, mm-hmm. and it really defined the difference in the char- masculine characteristics and feminine characteristics or neutral characteristics. Okay. They tested the 125 characteristics across 64,000 people in uh, several countries around the world, and what they found was the feminine characteristics are those of transparency Uh, collaboration, trust, openness, those types of characteristics. And more male characteristics were more about certainty, command, decisive. So there are different characteristics that people assigned to men and women, a 64,000 person survey. Then there were neutral that didn't get assigned to either. And in all countries, even countries like Japan and Korea, the predominant wish for people in their leaders of the 21st century were more leaning towards the characteristics shown by women. Hmm. And I think this has a lot to do with communications and the ability of everybody to weigh in. Everybody can get in the conversation. If you're a CEO of a major Fortune 500 company today, you can't hide up in the corner office. (laughs) Everybody in your company has a has a say, and you have to be a good communicator, you have to be more open, you have to be more inclusive. And diversity is really an important issue that women embrace. And so I think that we're seeing, you know, a sea change in the expectations of leadership. And the conclusion of the book says it's neither right or wrong to be one or the other, but the combination of both is really the real strength of leadership teams today. And that's that's I think appropriate. I think that is correct.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way to phrase it. And uh, I, I, obviously, you guys have, when you talk about the entrepreneurs that you have in the book and yourself as well, a uh, great perspective on this. Okay, I really appreciated the conversation. I did want to ask you before we uh, wrapped up here, moving forward, Where do you see the most opportunity and growth for female entrepreneurs and really women in the workforce in general? Uh, Just from your experiences, people you talk with, things you see, what do you envision as far as growth and opportunity moving forward?
1: I see opportunity everywhere because the exponential growth of technologies is changing every industry. and I've been in several, retail, software, media, foods, uh, all kinds of industries, financial industries, There are opportunities everywhere. But when you're talking about women, I think that women are extremely confident in uh, social media, uh, marketing, et cetera, for large, you know, for brands and products. They're innovative for those products. So they're going to excel in those areas predictive analytics and things like that, they also excel in. And I will tell you that in healthcare services, women are going to dominate. They're going to lead because they're the ones that understand what has to be done. They're the ones that take care of the health for their own family, for their children, for their parents, for their partners, and they understand what has, has to be done. And the vast number of women going through medical school and being researchers and having PhDs in microbiology and courses like this, They are really leading in the changes that are necessary in our healthcare systems, also in drug development. I see it. I see women really, really coming to the forefront in those areas. And I think that the entire spectrum of healthcare delivery to the consumer, bringing consumer comparison, you know, comparisons to the marketplace, people are going to start comparing the value of the service, the outcome of the service. And the price of the service, and they're going to bring those kind of consumer habits to the healthcare system, and that is going to make it more available to more people and drive down the prices of our healthcare delivery. So I'm extremely optimistic about that area, and I think women will dominate.
0: Okay. Once again, uh, thank you very much for coming on. I think some excellent insight and I love the passion that you bring. Obviously, this is an an area that you really love and and have a lot of uh, positive thoughts towards. So it definitely comes across in your knowledge. uh, It was really unmatched. So I appreciate you coming on sharing with us and the listeners today.
1: It was a great pleasure to share these moments with you.
0: Unfortunately, that will wrap things up for us here on Management Decisions. Once again, we are speaking with Kay Koplovitz. She has a book out called Been There, Run That, talking about a number of success stories from female entrepreneurs. And we were happy to have her joining us once again here on LJN Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter, at the LJN. And please check out all of our episodes on iTunes or on our website, localjobnetwork.com. For everyone here at the Local Job Network, I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.